Hey, we're concluding our series this week on spiritual leadership. If you have your Bible, you want to follow along there, turn to Titus chapter 3. We're concluding this series with the final instructions from Paul. Remember that Paul is um, writing under the, again, when I say Paul's writing, okay, it's the Holy Spirit is writing through Paul, but he did use Paul to pen the words, but God is breathing through him. So it's inspired word of God, but we're looking at Paul's instructions to Titus, a young leader regarding establishing uh, order and leadership in the churches on the island of Crete. And of course, Paul and Titus, after Paul got released from uh, prison, house imprisonment, he headed, uh, he and Titus traveled to, to the island of Crete and they preached the gospel there. They shared with the Cretans what Jesus had done. The good news that um, rather than being uh, God being afar off or worshiping idols and uh, hoping that God or there was a God behind them, Paul and Titus shared with the Cretans that God is knowable and that uh, God himself came to earth and Jesus, the son of God, took on human flesh and lived among us as the God-man, all God, all man. And he walked among us and he shared with us who God is and what God expects of us and how God uh, is affectionate toward us and how God loves us. And he said, you know, Jesus healed the sick and, and uh, he caused the blind to see and the, and the deaf to hear. And, and he shared how uh, ultimately Jesus, the sinless son of God, went to the cross and there sacrificed his, his life, his body broken, his blood shed to pay for the sins of the world, of all of the human race. Jesus atoned for them. And so Paul and Titus shared with the Cretans that it, by believing and trusting in the work of Jesus, they could have forgiveness of sins. They could be set free. And there were those on the island of Crete and all the towns that responded to that gospel message and put their trust in Jesus. And then they formed churches, which is what Christians do. They join a church, right? That's, what it, that's part of what it means to be a Christian and to follow Jesus is to be a part of the, the community of believers. And so they did and they formed these churches. And then Paul continued on his journey. He left Titus. Uh, on the island of Crete. And this letter is an instructive letter to Titus, probably about a year after these churches had been established, these people had come to Christ, about how to establish leadership so there was longevity. And, and so here's Titus uh, working as a young leader. Remember that um, this year, as a church, we're focused on being the church. We want to be healthy and unified and firing on all cylinders. And so we're, we're studying how to do that and how to implement um, health in our church and how to be uh, unified together and how to work together to accomplish the mission. And so this, this series through Titus on leadership is so important because we looked a couple weeks ago at leadership that oversees the church. Elders who are appointed, that Titus appointed in the churches to lead, to set the example, to set the tone for the church by how they live and how they're pursuing Jesus. And then we looked, uh, uh, one of the other weeks, a couple weeks ago, we looked at how there's leadership inside of the church, how there's generational leadership, right? How the older men and women are to help the younger men and women um, as they grow and as they establish families. And remember the definition of older was simply that you've raised your family, <laughs> that your kids are out of the house. 
I know not everybody loves that definition, but that's the Bible, all right? <laughs> so, um, but anyway, raising your family means, okay, we've got that accomplished. We learned some things there, what to do, what not to do. So we're going to reach down and help the next generation. And then we looked at how men and women, a gender-based ministry in the church. And this is the leadership inside of the church, the culture that is helping growth happen. And all about transformation. It's not about just believing in Jesus and trusting in him, but it's about following him. And so Paul is encouraging Titus that leadership is supposed to be lived out and demonstrated so that it can be followed. So that individuals that are ahead and are following Jesus can help others follow him. And that's why my definition of leadership for this series is that leadership is influence. It's influence. And I don't care who you are. I know a lot of people say, I'm not a leader. I don't want to be a leader. Don't put that on me. Well, I am putting it on you because leadership's influence. And I promise you that someone is watching you and they're looking at how you live. It's like the little boy that said, Hey mom, can I go out and help dad change the oil in the car? I know all the words he uses to get the job done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, somebody's watching us, right? And so how we live, and I know we're not perfect. None of us are. We're struggling at that, but we're working to be an example for someone else. That is how it works. And so we see in this passage, again, um, as we conclude this series, Paul's going to give instructions this week on how to build a healthy church culture. And he's going he's to address some issues regarding um, some of the problems that occur, can occur. And he has already in this passage, but we're going to focus in on what he's talking about um, this week regarding some of the problems can, that can arise and how leadership is needed to ensure, to establish and maintain a healthy church culture. And so um, we want to look at verses 4 through 7. We kind of looked at those last week, but I want to um, review them again because they set up what Paul is going to teach this week. And so what he does in these verses is to reaffirm the message that he preached, the truth of the gospel. And he's going he's to say, um, uh, again, encouraging Titus to preach this message this is the truth. This is what people need to hear. This is the only message that can save them because it's the truth of what God has done. And so he reasserts this in verses four through seven. So let's just read it again. This is probably a song or a creed of some kind. It appears to be something that would have been common and used in the churches, something that they could memorize and remember easily. And so here's the gospel message in verses four through seven. Paul says, when God our savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. So once again, salvation comes not through any other means, but purely through the grace of God. It's because of God's kindness and love 
That was the motivation that God had towards us that caused him, specifically Jesus, to humble himself, come to this earth, take on a human form, take on a body, and again, live among us and ultimately sacrifice himself, the Father turning his back on him, Jesus being separated from the Father and becoming sin, the Bible says. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And so Jesus, God himself, because of his motivation, kindness, and love, he, he offered us this salvation. And the, the salvation he offers does what? It washes away our sins. Baptism is a beautiful picture of that. Going under the water, coming out, being washed clean. And that's really a picture of what happens in us and to us. The things that we have done, the wrongs that we have committed, our opposition to God, which we all have lived in, that all is washed away by the, because of the kindness and love of God. And when God washes away our sins, he gives us new birth. Uh, Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, he, he talked about this idea of being born again. Right? And Nicodemus goes, what does that mean? How am I supposed to be born again? I can't go into my mother's womb again. And Jesus is like, oh, come on, man. Like we're talking about spiritual rebirth. You know, that your, your soul and your spirit are born again um, and separated from your sin nature so that you can live for God and be the person that God really created you to be. Your identity is changed at that point. And then this, this little... Uh, creed or song or hymn says that God pours his Holy Spirit into your life. And so again, it's not just trusting or believing intellectually in Jesus and what he did. It's trusting in him and accessing his presence, which again, the scriptures indicate and, and tell us with absolute certainty that God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit, is poured into our lives and God comes to dwell within us. And this is what begins the transformation in us to become different people, to change, to become more like Jesus. And so following Jesus is the terminology Jesus used. Come and follow me, right? And I'll, I'll teach you how to live differently. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. God pours his Holy Spirit into our life and the Holy Spirit begins to help us and teach us how to live. As Blake uh, talked about beautifully, the transformation, the change internally away from a desire to sin to a desire towards following and, and being obedient to God. And so this is all because of God's grace and mercy. God makes us right with him, justifies us so that we're, we are pure in his sight. We aren't yet pure and perfect. We still wrestle with sin. We still battle with the transformation. But God sees us in Christ. And so we are, in his eyes, we are right. And we've been made right because of the sacrifice and the work of Jesus. And so this purifying process gives us that confidence that we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. I've told you guys before, if I were to do a poll in our church, um, you know, if you were to die tonight, how sure are you? that you would spend eternity with God in heaven. Um, most people would probably go, well, maybe a, on a scale of one to 10, maybe a seven or eight, you know? And part of that reason for that uncertainty is because of a, maybe a lack of the application and the movement towards God through the power of the spirit. And so we wonder, 
Um, am I really saved? Am I really following God? I still have uh, sin struggles. But the truth is we can have certainty that we are right with God and we will be with him in heaven. And so this week, Titus 3 verse 8 Um, Paul says this, as we move into the passage we're studying this morning, he says, this is a trustworthy saying, meaning what we just read. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. So Paul reestablishes the truth of the gospel message, and then he's going to move into um, one of the issues that leadership is charged with in the churches, and that is to ensure that a healthy church culture is maintained. And one of the issues that is going to arise, surprisingly, right, in the early church, is divisions. And so we're going to learn here in the next few verses that spiritual leadership stops divisions. Spiritual leadership stops division in the church. Um, Titus 3, let's read verses 9 through 11 and get into our passage for this morning. Paul says to Titus, do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and a second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. Divisions. Paul says, you're going to have problems and issues. Now, I know it's kind of surprising that these early churches closer to Jesus walking the earth had divisions, had problems. Um, And of course, we don't anymore. We've got all that figured out after 2,000 years of following Jesus. But divisions happened in the early church. And the the cause of them that he's talking about here, specifically, is individuals coming behind Paul and preaching a message that did not line up with the gospel that he preached, the truth. They would preach, they would add to the gospel. The group that he's talking about here, specifically, is the group he talked about in a lot of his writings in the New Testament. They were known as the Judaizers, and they were Jewish. Um, They were Jewish folks that said they had believed Jesus was the Messiah, but they would come behind Paul, and then they would teach the people that he had preached the gospel to. They would say, listen, there's more to the gospel than this. You're not really saved if you don't follow the law. Paul's telling you only part of the truth. There's more you need to do. And so uh, they would come behind. And so Paul uh, addresses this issue with Titus and says, listen, the leaders in the church have to be ready and prepared for these individuals. They will show up and they got to deal with them. If they're there teaching this false teachings, then you need to deal with them. You need to warn them a couple times and then invite them to go down to the Baptist church. No, no. I invite them to, like, you you don't have anything more to do with them. They're they're not, they're not correct. And I remember, uh, I used to think for a long time that people that were teaching things in opposition to scripture, that they were doing it on purpose. You know, they had a malicious intent to lead people astray. And uh, uh, man, I had a teacher that kind of challenged me on that. Like, no, you know, there's a lot of sincere, well-meaning people that simply believe things that are not in the scriptures. And they're adding to 
what the gospel is. And so Paul calls these things, uh, he says, don't get involved in these foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees. You know, we don't know exactly what that was when it comes to, um, you know, Jewish uh, quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. We know because Paul addresses it in other, in other places they were encouraging people that they still had to get circumcised and they had to follow the, the law of Moses. And so, uh, for instance, in Galatians, Paul argues strongly against that. That's not required to follow Jesus. And so he's dealing with this and he's encouraging these churches to deal with. Leadership deals with division. Specifically in this case, when it comes from uh, what and we kind of get the idea from this passage, false uh, teachers, we get the idea of that word heresy um, that we use. And, and, uh, and so this is something that he's addressing very early on. Well, what causes divisions among us today? And uh, there's obviously lots of things, but when it comes down to uh, kind of our understanding of the scriptures and teaching of the scriptures, you know, as through my life, I've encountered uh, some, some, some folks with some strong beliefs in some different areas. And maybe you've heard some of these terms, but this is an ongoing debate in the church that started a long time ago and continues today. And that is around the idea of theology, systematic theology, right? The study of the scriptures and uh, the understanding of the Bible and the study of it in a systematic way, which I want to say before I say any of this, that I agree with that. It's a, it's a good pursuit. You should um, be involved in the study of systematic theology. It's a good thing. It's a, it's a good um, uh, pursuit. Gives you um, an understanding of the scriptures in a more in-depth way. <clears throat> but some of our disputes, divisions in the church can arise whether or not you're uh, uh, following Calvinism or Arminianism, right? Maybe you've heard of those terms, a couple guys that lived a long time ago around the time of the Protestant Reformation, and they influenced the church. They were some pretty good leaders there, and uh, had some disagreements, though, and those continue to today. I've met some really strong, uh, some folks with some strong opinions <clears throat> in these areas. What about dispensational, dispensationalism or covenant theology? Those are two different uh, camps of way to view what happens in the, in the word of God and how God works with people. <coughs> so dispensationalism or covenant theology. Um, how about are you a cessationist or are you charismatic, right? Comes to the charismatic uh, gifts and we see in the early, in the New Testament, the apostles did some amazing things and there are folks that view, cessationists view that much of that stopped or all of it stopped in the, after the New Testament era. And then, of course, the charismatic movement more has the idea that those things are continuing today. You know, as, uh, as I've gone through my life and interacted with a lot of folks and studied all these things pretty in depth, uh, what I find is personally, I think that uh, for the most part, all of them have some biblical merit. There's some good biblical merit. There's verses that support these positions. I also think they have some human error in them. Um, and so I'm... Uh, as I've had conversations with folks that have some strong opinions in these areas. Had a young man that was really pushing me uh, in one area years ago. And I said, well, here's the deal. Um, I, in my life, uh, I learned and studied the Bible first. Okay, as a young man, I was in Awana. I learned the Bible, I memorized the Bible. And I heard the Bible teached or taught. 
um, before I learned any theological systems, right? And so if a theological system, and to me they all do, they present some arena, they, they uh, do, deal with a verse or a passage in a way that, that to me forces it to mean something, it doesn't plainly say, then the theological system has to surrender to the scriptures. Um, that's the way it works. And so, yeah, maybe I seem wishy-washy, but I have a problem because on all of these, as I've studied them and heard them, they just don't all line up. They all have issues. And so I'd rather say the word of God is the word of God. It has the authority. It has the authority. It's, it's true. And I may not understand in every case how it matches up with other verses. A lot of people think, wow, there's contradictions in the Bible. No, there's a problem with my understanding it. It does not contradict itself. And so I put the onus on me. I don't quite get this yet. I'm trying. I'm working at it. And so I think that's the right attitude to take. But divisions can occur in the churches because of these things. They have, and they probably will continue to do so. Um, And so the approach we take to our view of Scripture and how we handle all of this is really important. John Calvin, who's one of these individuals that has a, a system of theology that a lot of people follow today. He wrote these words about how we handle all this. He says, but what does he, meaning Paul, wish them to learn? That no one be puffed up for his own teacher against another. That is, that they may not be lifted up with pride on account of their teachers. And do not abuse their names for the purpose of forming parties and rendering the church asunder, meaning dividing it. Observe, too, that pride or haughtiness is the cause and commencement of all contentions, when everyone, assuming to himself more than he is entitled to do, is eager to have others in subjection to him. (laughs) He's saying, listen, what's at the center of a lot of this is really pride. It's not the scriptures. And so let's be careful with how we approach the scriptures and how we handle it. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, he said to the church there, when one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, he says, aren't you just acting like the people of the world? We follow Christ. And following Jesus and listening to the scriptures and, and letting the Holy Spirit reveal to us and help us understand it, that should be where we come from. I know there are teachers that we all have learned from. I have teachers that I've learned from, pastors that have impacted my life, but I don't follow them, right? I follow Jesus. I think that practically, if we were to handle uh, our walk with God that way and handle the scriptures that way, uh, some of those divisions that, that uh, occur and are maintained would kind of melt away. We need to work to be unified and to handle these things correctly. But Paul is dealing with heresy here. And it matters. And he says leadership in the churches must deal with it. In Titus 2.1, referring to a couple of weeks ago, uh, chapter 2 that we looked at, Paul says, however, you, or excuse me, you, however, speaking to Titus, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So a church must be true to the gospel and true to the scriptures. And it matters a great deal. And leadership needs to help maintain or uh, establish and maintain that environment so that people can come in, hear the word of God, hear the scriptures, connect with with the truth there, connect with God through the scriptures, 
couple that got baptized last night, I was talking to them about uh, their testimony and what God was doing. And just, they described a connection to the scriptures that was growing, uh, a hunger to hear from God and to, to interact with God through his word. And, and uh, that's what happens because the Holy Spirit um, is active in the word of God. The Bible isn't just a static book, but it's called the living word of God. And so it can speak to us and it does and God uses it to reveal the truth to us. And so we need to be true to it and it matters. After dealing with what can damage the church and lead to a toxic culture of heresy, Paul says the next step is that spiritual leadership installs healthy leadership. So spiritual leadership in the church is looking for healthy leaders to install and establish so that the environment in the church is maintained. And so Titus 2, let's look at verses 12 through 14. He says, I'm planning to send either Artemis or Tychicus to you. As soon as one of them arrives, do your best to meet me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to stay there for the winter. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos with their trip. See that they are given everything they need. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. And so he says, listen... He's himself doing this, but the lesson here that we can learn is he is sending replacement leaders for Titus. Titus is the one who uh, was establishing this and working the churches. Now he's sending some replacements so Titus can come to join him. But healthy leadership, Artemis, we don't really know a lot about him. It's the only place he's mentioned in the New Testament. But Tychicus, he's mentioned several times. We find him in the book of Acts. Um, on, on Paul's uh, third missionary journey, we learn of him and he's listed with a bunch of other leaders who are traveling with Paul and uh, they're in the city of Ephesus and the, a big, um, <laughs> big conflict that erupts there. And Paul goes, um, he lists the group of leaders with him, Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus and all from the province of Asia. So this guy Tychicus, we know, is a trusted leader who's going to handle well his leadership role. He's going to create and, and establish and maintain health in the church. He's mentioned in Ephesians and Colossians and 2 Timothy and then here in Titus. And so he's a trusted leader. It's important that leadership, as leadership grows and as leadership's established in the church, again, that it's healthy. There was a, a book written on leadership and a study done years ago on uh, leadership within organizations and companies. And a study was done uh, to kind of assess or ascertain the different kinds of leadership in, in, in a leadership culture, in, a, in, a, um, in an organization, in a business in this case. And they focused in on a couple of um, questions and they were looking for where individuals stood on things. One was, was the individual focused on the good of the company rather on personal benefit? Were, as a leader in this organization, were they focused on the good of the company over personal benefit, number one. Secondly, were they willing to even jeopardize their own careers um, in order to uh, push and pursue and try to initiate what was good for the company? Were they willing to do that, jeopardize their own benefit? So they found four different types of leadership. The first one they called courageous leadership. These were people that expressed ideas to help the company improve in spite of personal risk or opposition. So they're willing to voice, hey, we need to do this. We should work in this direction. In spite of the fact they got opposition, 
and even at times um, their position was jeopardized because of that. Number two, so that was courageous. The second kind of leadership was confronting leadership. Confronting leadership, these people spoke up, but only because of a personal vendetta they had against the company. So they were willing to speak up oppositionally and confront things, but it was because they had personal issues. Then they found that the third type was calloused leadership, and these were people that didn't know or care whether they could do anything for the company. They felt helpless and hopeless, so they kept quiet. And then lastly, conforming leadership. And these were people that remained quiet, but only because they loathed confrontation and they loved approval. They found ultimately that courageous leaders had a sense of quality of life. Um, They enjoyed and appreciated being a part of something, even though they found themselves (laughs) in jeopardy and in places where people were in opposition to them because they were fighting for the good Healthy leadership in a church is going to do the same thing. Going to be sacrificial. Going to not look for what's best for me, but what's best for the church. What is best for advancing the mission of God? What's going to help the church be healthy and strong? These are the kind of leaders that Paul put in place. And it's the kind of leader that Paul was. Obviously, he was a courageous leader. He was willing to risk everything. Risk his life to advance the gospel, to make sure that people heard the truth. And I know all of us are in positions where how we handle ourselves is going to dictate whether we get opposition or not. And my prayer for all of us is that we could be that courageous individual who says for the good of the people we work with, the good of the people we live around, that we encourage them in the right direction and we speak up for what is right and true. It takes courage and you will be uh, opposed, right? I know that. And yet um, that's what's required. Our world needs us to be courageous leaders. The last thing that Paul does in his final, um, final message here is, uh, as he ends this, this letter is that um, what we see is that spiritual leadership gives love and blessings. In Titus 3, verse 15, the last verse of this book, he says, everybody here sends greetings. Please give my greetings to the believers, all who love us. May God's grace be with you. Love is what binds Christians together. And the love that we have because of what God's done for us is a different kind of love altogether. When we make a commitment to follow Jesus and to walk in his love, the ability we have to connect, the bond we have with other people who are following Jesus as well, there's really nothing else like that in the world. There's no other connection with other people that matches up to it. And so we can uh, experience that. And Paul knew how powerful that was. And so he affectionately sends greetings and he recognizes the love bond that is between him. And then, of course, he prays God's grace over them. He blesses them with God's presence. The grace of God is both the unmerited favor of God when he gives us things we don't deserve. It's also his presence. And we need to remember that, as Paul knew for this church, for Titus as a leader, for these new Christians, these new churches, you need the presence of God. That's what's going to make things happen in your church. Blake's story only happens when the presence of God is is in a place, is among a group of people, right? 
That's where the power is. That's where miracles happen. That's where change takes place. And yet uh, some people struggle with the grace of God um, and, and recognizing it, but the proof is all around us. There was an atheist, he said, with a friend one day who believed in God, he said this statement, he said, if there's a God, may he prove himself by striking me dead right now. Well, nothing happened. So he said, see to his friend, there's no God. Well, his buddy turned to him and said, you've only proved that he's a gracious God. <laughs> Not that he doesn't exist, right? The grace of God is powerful and palpable. And every human being is experiencing it, whether they know it or not. Um, A.W. Tozer said it this way. He says, grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. Its use to us sinful men is to save us and make us sit together in heavenly places to demonstrate to the ages the exceeding riches of God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. My prayer for you as you live your life that you would be able to influence people to see that God is there, to experience his love, his kindness, even his grace through you as you interact with the people around you. You are a leader. You do influence people. People are watching you. And I pray that for all of us, we would, be, we would continue to pursue Jesus so we could influence them in that direction. God, thank you for your goodness to us and the, the blessings that you bestow on us. Thank you for your kindness and your love, which caused you to pour out your grace on us and to show mercy to us, to allow us to enter into a relationship with you, to have our sins washed away, to be made new, to be made whole so we can live for you. I pray that you would wake us up, that you would cause us to live each day with a sense of your presence so that as we encounter and engage the world around us, we would reflect you and people would see in us the reality of who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.